Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise to join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico. Go to www.comingbackcruise.com where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there, and welcome to Season 4 of Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Bereavement Cruise founder Linda Finley about the death of her daughter Aubrey, and how her daughter's death was the first step on a long journey to helping grieving people find support and community after loss. Also on the show today, I am so excited to tell you about my upcoming book called Permission to Grieve, and I'll let you in on how you can be a part of it too. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season four of Coming Back. I am so excited to be back on the mic with you. So much has happened uh, in my time away. I got a promotion at my day gig. I moved apartments, which is why you might hear a train and or some construction in the background. And biggest, biggest, biggest of all grief growers, I fleshed out what is going to be a finished book in just a few months, a book called Permission to Grieve. But before I get into that really quickly, I want to announce the winner of the In the Meantime Patreon giveaway, Joanna S. Congratulations, you have won a copy of Grief Works by Julia Samuel, who was on episode 42 of Coming Back, a copy of You Are Not Alone by Debbie Augenthaler, who was on episode 45 of Coming Back, three Coming Back podcast stickers, and a thank you note from me. I am so stoked to send these prizes your way. Thank you so much for supporting Coming Back on Patreon. You keep the lights on at this little podcasting desk in Chicago, and I so appreciate it. So watch the mail for your winnings. As a reminder, I host a giveaway every four months in April, August, and December when I step away from full-time podcasting. If you'd like to enter the next In the Meantime giveaway, pledge to become a patron before the end of 2018, and I'll do my first giveaway drawing of the year on January 1st, 2019. Another cool piece of news to share with all of you this week is that Coming Back is now on Google Podcasts. Last season, I added Coming Back to Spotify so Android users and music lovers could access it. Now Coming Back is also on Google Podcasts. You can find a link to that in the show notes. If you click it, it will open Google Podcasts right on your device or your computer, wherever you happen to be listening from. This is an announcement mostly for Android and Google device users. If you have an Apple device, you can just find Coming Back in the Podcasts app. But this is all very neat and very cool for anyone who is listening from a non-Apple device. Uh, so hooray to all of our Google podcast listeners and users all over the world. Alrighty, grief growers, now for the really big news of the day. I am so excited to share with you that I have been working on a book in secret. I've actually worked on many books, and they're all tucked away on my computer in various stages of finishedness. But for the very first time, I have seen a book through to the end. It's called Permission to Grieve, and it's about the different ways grief asks us to give ourselves permission to feel our emotions, to become different people, and to take grief out into the world through action. I'm steering my own story of loss in it, but more than that, it's an invitation to look at and work with your own loss too. It gives me chills to talk about it, and I just know the message that keeps coming is this is a book that I needed to write because it's also a book that the world needs to have written right now as well. 
Now, before you go looking for it anywhere, I'll go ahead and tell you it's not available for pre-order. It's not available for purchase. It's not on Amazon. It's not out in the world yet. And that's for a very, very specific reason. And it's because I want your help with it, grief growers. Between now and the day that the book is released, I'm putting together a private Facebook group called Permission to Grieve Launch Team. I'm looking for invested people who are fans of the show and of my work to read draft copies of the book, provide their opinions on the stories and content that are shared within it, and even weigh in on things like final book cover design. This is a group for the last 12 weeks leading up to launch, so it's coming, we're counting down, and it's going to be a really active and buzzy space. If you like giving your opinion and you would like to get a behind-the-scenes look at my writing process and all of the build-up it takes to put a book out into the world, I would absolutely love to have you in this group. It's called Permission to Grieve Launch Team on Facebook. Every person who joins the private Facebook group will receive a free copy of Permission to Grieve, which is being released in audiobook format as well, if you prefer to listen to your books or hear my voice reading my book. Uh, In exchange for your free copy of Permission to Grieve, you must, and this is non-negotiable, you must write an Amazon review of the book the day it's released, and you must share the book on social media on at least two different platforms. This is the criteria for joining the group. So this could mean sharing it in a grief support Facebook group and through an Instagram story, or tweeting about it and emailing it to your mom, posting it on your Facebook timeline and doing a really quick video about the book for YouTube, however you'd like to pair it just two social media platforms the day the book goes live. Because the goal on launch day is to make this the biggest, best explosion of, hey, look, Look what grievers have available to them now that Amazon and that all of your friends and family have ever seen. Full saturation is totally what I'm going for here. It's going to be very exciting. I'm already like a little overwhelmed by it, Um, but it's also going to be very, very powerful. I get this image of kind of a sweeping motion for the release of this book. and, And when we can be everywhere with it, people can latch onto these resources that A, haven't existed until this point, and B, oh, that's exactly what I needed. I am so excited to share what I've created with you. Ideally, I would like to have 100 people in this private Facebook group by September 30th. So if you are interested in being a part of my launch team, please search for Permission to Grieve Launch Team in the group section on Facebook or sign up for email updates at my website, shelbyforsythia.com. I'll be sending out an email where you can join the launch team from there later this week. We talk so much about permission on this show, permission to forget, permission to be happy, permission to create, permission to grieve people who were wrong for you, permission to experiment, permission to keep memorials for people up long after they've died. I think, I I get chills again as I say this, the world is in a space where we need more permission to grieve. It sucks that we need to have it handed to us, that we just don't inherently know that we have it, but we do inherently have it and we need somebody to remind us that it exists, that it's something that we are allowed to claim is this permission to grief. So I, I'm taking the initiative. I'm putting pen to paper and making this message happen. I would so, so, so love to have you on this journey with me. So again, the private Facebook group name is Permission to Grieve launch team. It is a closed Facebook group. You require admission to join. uh, But once you've joined, you'll be in it and you'll be part of the launch group. I would just be so honored to have you there. In the time between now and the release of Permission to Grieve, I am temporarily pausing my Facebook Live videos. I'm hoping to put some video materials together as the book launch draws closer. But for now, if you would like to visit me live, pledge to support coming back on Patreon, where I will be continuing my once-a-month, hour-long Google Hangouts for top-tier supporters of this show. Grief growers, I know that was a ton of information uh, to digest at the top of the show, so let's kind of... We'll take a breath together, and then let's go ahead and jump into this week's interview. Next up, my conversation with the founder of Bereavement Cruise, Linda Finley, who lost her infant daughter just two hours and nine minutes after her birth. Linda Finley became a bereaved parent with the loss of her infant daughter, Aubrey Marie. Linda then founded Morning Discoveries Grief Support Services in 1991. Since that time, she has filled the role of aftercare coordinator for funeral homes currently representing over 300 funeral homes in 25 states and in Canada. 
in a style reflecting compassion, personal loss, and experience by working with bereaved families and special training, she effectively communicates with bereaved families through the sharing of personal stories and professional experiences with a combination of integrity and credibility. Linda provides valuable tools, understanding, and solid practical ways to help the bereaved. Linda, thank you so much for joining us on coming back today. And I'm so excited to have you here uh, to speak about the bereavement cruise, but your your lost story as well and kind of how the whole thing got started. Oh, thank you, Shelby. Thank you for having me. And, and yes, we all do have a, a grief story. Um, I lost my daughter 28 years ago, and that was my first um, devastating loss, although my mother died about 10 months before that, and that was kind of shocking. And I thought at that time that that was the worst loss. And then my daughter died. So um, it was a really horrible time for me. And I just didn't um, have the support that I needed because people just didn't understand. Um, and I found myself just wandering around trying to find you know, resources, somebody to talk to. Um, and about four months after my daughter died, I remember being in my basement in my house where my washer and dryer was. And I went down there and I could not remember for the life of me having been down there washing clothes for four months. And at that point I said, there's something wrong. You know, I just didn't understand the grief. I didn't understand what was going on. Everyone around me was suggesting that I move on and, you know, all those things that people say that are not helpful. And so I put myself into counseling and also joined a support group, um, which I found was very helpful. And from that, I did that for about a couple of years. And then I got involved with the support group and started to um, facilitate meetings myself. And then um, shortly after I started doing that, I went to a local hospice and asked them if they would support um, the, the support group because there wasn't many people that were involved with, you know, doing all the things that are involved with, you know, promoting the support group, making sure the community knows about it and all that good stuff. So they agreed to um, take over the support group, but they told me I need to go through their hospice training to do that. And so I did and um, was trained to be a bereavement support group um, facilitator and worked with them for many, many years until I actually left New York four years ago. I mean, actually it was five years ago and um, worked with them all those years. And it was through my work with hospice that I met a lot of funeral directors and started asking funeral directors, you know, what do you do for your families um, when they experience a loss? And most of them, if not all of them said, we do nothing, but we should. And so that kind of triggered something for me. And I thought, well, maybe I can put together some kind of resource and referral service that um, people can call and get information about all of the you know resources available to them. And that's when I founded Morning Discoveries. And so that's, um, I actually started out as just a resource and referral service and ended up being, um, I started to develop what we call aftercare programs in the funeral service world. And what that is, is that um, we follow families for at least a year after their loss. And that includes me sending them out um, a series of books throughout that year. And I actually wrote the books that I sent to my families um, in 2008. That's when I started using those. And to this day, I work as an aftercare coordinator for a lot of funeral homes. And um, I often say that my daughter's, um, my work, life work is my daughter's legacy. So that's, that's my life story in a nutshell. So how did grief and loss become something that consumed you so greatly? Because at first it sounds like, you know, I'm reaching out for help. I'm getting myself into counseling and support groups. Was there some kind of mentality shift or something that happened where you were like, okay, this is important enough that I need to make this what I do? Well, I just, I guess I just felt a lot of compassion for people in recognizing that it just was common that people didn't have the support that they needed. And so I just kind of felt that it was my mission in life to, to make that different because my experience to me was that was the worst. And it, the worst part was losing my daughter, obviously. But then to not understand like what grief was, I mean, you don't go anywhere and learn about what grief is. You know, even people can tell you and you can be around others who've experienced loss. And unless you experience it yourself, you just don't know. And I was young and I just had no idea, even though, like I had said, my mom died 10 months before my daughter. Um, and that was shocking, but it just was not anything compared. Um, as a matter of fact, people used to tell me, oh, you're, now your mother has an angel in heaven um, after my daughter died. And I was like, that's like the last thing I wanted to hear at that point. So I just, I just made it my mission. I just, I want to help people. I want help, help people to support them. 
And I had to recognize early on that there really wasn't anything that I can say or do that was going to change somebody's grief journey, but that if I could be there just to listen and maybe offer some words of encouragement or share some tidbits about how myself or other people dealt with certain situations and scenarios, I just felt that's that's what I wanted to do. And I guess you can call it a calling. And so that's what I dove into. I want to take a second and honor who your daughter was to you, maybe say her name and share some stories about how how she came into your life, what she brought to your <laughs> life while she was here on the earth with us. Well, her name was Aubrey, and she wasn't with us that long. Um, she was born, and she was born with a lot of different problems um, after we were told that anything that could be wrong with her could be fixed. And so she was born, and they told us that there was nothing that could be fixed. And she only lived for two hours and nine minutes. And um, it just was a horrible, awful outcome to a, a very wanted pregnancy, a very wanted child. And just my whole world was just shattered. I, I didn't know babies died. I was like, how does that happen? And um, and so I, I kind of most of what I know about her is all of what she is in my, my heart and my mind. I mean, that's, I think, one of the difficulties about losing an infant is that, you know, you don't have those things to hang on to. Um, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. And so I had to create things that were important to me that helped me to feel connected to her. Because for me, I needed to feel connected to her, even though she was, you know, no longer here on earth, I needed to, you know, recognize her life, I needed to honor her life, I needed to love her every day and, and just and share that with people. And so that's where the roadblock came, is that um, I couldn't share her with people, because people didn't know her, they didn't meet her, they didn't see her. So to them, there wasn't a child behind my pregnancy. It was okay, well, you can just go have other children and everything will be fine. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I just know that I love her and she's very much part of my life. And there's not a day goes by that I don't recognize that, you know, my ultimate goal in life is to see her again. And that's what keeps me going along with the work that I do. And, um, so that's what I can tell you about her. And I always, one thing I want to add, I always, um, I don't want to say guess, but I always had a feeling that, um, she had blue eyes. And I would have no reason to believe that because my husband has brown eyes and I have brown eyes. And then I had my second daughter, Julia, and she was born with blue eyes. And I was like, yep, I knew it. It's like in my heart, I knew it. So I can tell you that about her too. I think she had blue eyes, even though I never saw them. So um, yeah, that's that. Oh my gosh. I just got chills as you said that. And I think there's something, how do I phrase this? I think there's almost like a knowing in us that even after we lose, you know, the people that are most valuable to us, even if we didn't know them for very long, especially that kind of mother's gut knowledge, the mother's intuition feeling, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head with that. And even just just something in you knows that there's an unexplainable element of these relationships and of grief too that that's coming through in your in your words. And I just I'm connecting with that. I really like that. What rituals or maybe, yeah, rituals is the word I'm going to choose. Uh, did you create in your life to honor her? Or how do you continue to honor Aubrey in the day to day aside from doing the work that you do? Well, you know, those kinds of things have lessened through the years. Early on, I felt as though I needed to you know, every day she was, she was there. She, you know, I had little mementos from when she was born and, and, you know, had to have those things around me. And I always would say, I need to visit with Aubrey now. And I would take out the few things that I had for her. I have pictures. I had her um, hospital bracelet, um, her birth certificate and her footprints and all that stuff. And so I needed to stay connected and visiting with, with that stuff for a really long time. And, and then it became, you know, just doing things like always to honor her birthday and, um, to this day, um, there's people, even my closest family and best of friends who don't even remember her birthday. And they don't remember her birthday, even after every single year for 28 years, I say, Aubrey's birthday's tomorrow, or Aubrey's birthday was yesterday. And they're all like, oh, okay, oh, I'm so sorry, I missed that. And I, it doesn't hurt anymore. But it's like, you know, for me, that was a bittersweet day, you know, and um I've often said that, you know, the saddest day of my life was when a baby was born and the happiest day of my life was when a child was born. So um, I, I know those both those extremes. And I, I guess in my own right, I try to acknowledge her. Early on, we always went to the cemetery and brought balloons. And I had a, um, 
a candle. I don't know if you ever see these little candles that people buy when they have children and every year you burn it down to the next year. And so I felt like she's, I'm not going to deprive her of that. And I, I bought a candle. And so for about five years, I would go to the cemetery on her birthday and, you know, sit there and burn the candle with and have the balloons. And by that point, I'd already had Julia and I would take Julia, my, my other daughter, um, to the cemetery with me. And then it got to the point where I think she was starting to recognize what, what we lost. And she would get really hysterically crying and upset. And I went to one of the bereavement counselors that I was working with at hospice. And I said, Oh my gosh, I'm like traumatizing my daughter. What is going on? And I can't do this to her anymore. And she said, she goes, as she gets older, she's going to, even though she was the, the sister after, she's going to grieve that loss because she sees that you are. And so I just kind of stopped doing that with her at that point, because I just felt really awful that I didn't want her to be so upset at such a tender age. So I just found little things that I did to, um, to recognize and to acknowledge. And, and it always just, again, became like the birthday. And then every Christmas I buy a Christmas ornament for her. There's a, um, Hallmark series called, um, oh gosh, it was an- somebody's angels. But anyhow, every year I buy one of those ornaments to this day and believe it or not, I have every year since the year she was born, except for the year that she was born. <laughs> so for some reason I don't have 1989, I have um, 1988, which was the first one that was given to me off of somebody's tree. And I have every year after 1989, but I do not have 1989. So that's kind of odd um, that I don't have that. So yeah, so it's just little things that I do to, to, to stay, to feel like I'm connected to her and that, and I'm so sure of my love for her that I don't have the need to do all the things that I used to do. It's almost like I've I've grown into being so positive about my love for her and that it is valid and that she was significant and always will be. So I don't have the same needs that I had um, early on. So I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Who were some people in your life that did validate that for you? Because I think, you know, in the beginning stages of loss, I need any scrap of information. I can find any, you know, physical items. I need, you know, rituals that I do, things of that nature. And then they kind of fade with time, not because we start to care less or we start to forget, but because we start to internalize the validity of our loss. And I think a lot of it, we get this, you know, affirmation from the outside, wherever that comes from, but also, like you said, internally, that we just know that our love is always there, less proof exists on the outside. But I wonder kind of maybe who taught that to you or maybe who brought those teachings or beliefs into your life after you lost her? Well, like I said, the people closest to me and around me did not know what to do with me. So nobody said anything. And when I joined the um, the support group, it was called SHARE, and that's a really a national organization that um, supports mothers or families who've lost a child to, um, to miscarriage, stillbirth, newborn death, or SIDS. And so I connected with that organization. It was based out of Missouri. And I started writing the director of that program, um, a very sweet lady by the name of Sister Jane Marie. And if I had to pick out one thing that was, again, one of those turning points, like, wow, this is really... I'm not just feeling this because there's something wrong with me. And she would write back and forth, back and forth. So, so many letters that I got from her, so many that I sent to her. And that just to me was my first real validation. In addition to going to the support group once a month and, you know, listening to other people's stories and what they were going through, again, validated that for me. And, and then the jump forward some years later, when I started to um, take over the share group that was local, I went to a, um, a convention. It was a yearly convention that they held for, for the National Share Organization. And I had an opportunity to meet Sister Jane Marie. And they actually gave me, because I asked for them, all of the letters that I sent to her. And they were just, we're very happy to give them to you because we know that those are important. Because obviously I had the ones that she sent to me, but I didn't have the ones that I sent to her. We didn't, I didn't have a computer. There was no computers in our homes at this that time. pre-email. And so <laughs> it was pre-email. And the other thing that's significant about that is that at the convention itself, um, she had gotten up and she did like a keynote speech for the, um, for the convention. And she had a red heart. It was a stuffed red heart. And she had one. And she had to give it away to somebody. And so I don't remember if it was a ticket on a table or a ticket that we had. Well, I won the red heart. And the other thing that it's reminding me about is that the hearts were significant because whenever I wrote Aubrey's name, I wrote a heart above the eye. And I always thought of it as being that 
Bobby's color was red. So now I, I'm the only person in this room of probably, I'm going to say there was probably a couple thousand people that attended this from across the country. I was the only person that got that red heart. So I've carried that red heart with me to more support groups and more community outreach events than I can even name. And so, so there's another thing that, that was significant. And so I say that was the most, and then as I got to, to talk to other parents, but as far as, you know, family support and people around me, I didn't get any validation. And as I said, Shelby, to this day, I don't get any validation and, and it's okay, but it's, it's just so unrecognized the type of loss that I had. And it's so frustrating because there's almost like, there's not almost like there is this mentality that floats around in society. Like, well, you can have other children as if these, these relationships that we hold, even if we hold them, you know, for two hours and nine minutes are somehow less significant because we can have another one, quote unquote, just like it. And that's, oh my gosh, it's like one of the biggest insults to somebody grieving a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, I think people think that, you know, even in in a miscarriage or a stillborn, people think that you've lost a pregnancy. And so they don't really acknowledge the significance of the child behind that pregnancy. And so that's a lot of what I've got. I mean, Shelby, I've had friends years later who said to me, oh yeah, I remember you had a miscarriage. And not that the miscarriage would have been any less traumatic. I'd never experienced that. So I don't know. But I was like, even people didn't even know. They just didn't even realize it. That's not what happened. Yeah. That's not what happened. And, and, you know, that was very upsetting to me for a really, really long time. And I just had to come to terms with it and really recognize that, you know, people don't act like that and don't say things that aren't helpful because they don't care. They do that because they don't understand. And that's probably, that's how I started out my series of books that I wrote is that, you know, I had to recognize that people didn't, you know, not acknowledge Aubrey because they didn't care. They just didn't understand. And so to me that, that, brought peace into that part of it. And um, I don't understand it to this day, like I said, that nobody still remembers, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's truly okay. Because I am so strong in my belief and, and how I feel about Aubrey that I don't need anything to, to validate that for me anymore. What is the day? It's September 1st. Just going to validate a little a little space for that here on the podcast today. I know the first episode of uh, of season four aired on September fifth, so we'll be missing it by just a little bit. But but that is important. That's my anniversary. September fifth is <laughs> yes, yeah, my anniversary. Oh, yeah. cool! And that's so exciting. Yeah, um, I, I love it. I guess um, we haven't talked about your spouse's involvement at all with Aubrey, her memory, and I guess how you bring in her into your family picture today? Oh, he was just, he, he was actually so wonderful the entire time through all of, you know, the loss of her and the aftermath. And I think that he didn't, he didn't understand either. I can remember him saying, saying to me, Aubrey died on September 1st. And I think that first meeting in October for the shared um, support group, he had somehow gotten information for and insisted that I was going. I mean, we weren't even a month out if that, and he was like, no, we're going. We ended up going on the wrong night. Nobody was there. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I don't know. So the poor guy, I mean, he tried from day one. And for him, I think that at first I don't, it was an awful loss for him. I mean, he held her as she died and I, I didn't even get to do that. And um, so for him, it was, that was a different experience for him. And so I think that he just, he was worried about me, which you'll hear that, you know, the dad's worried about the mom. And so by him going to the support group, he learned that like he would come home from work those first few months and he wouldn't say anything. He would just talk about work, what's going on at work. And I didn't go back to my job right away. So I was home all day, basically just in the midst of grief. And as I told you, my mom had died the 10 months before and I still had my mother's floral arrangement hanging on my wall that was deader than I don't know what it stunk to all high hell. And it was still, and I would just would sit at my kitchen table staring at this God awful looking thing that was beautiful and just thinking, what is wrong with me? And then he'd come in the door and he'd be like, oh, come on, let's go out to dinner. Well, he had to learn and he did learn, again, through going to the support group that he needed to come home and talk about Aubrey, or at least ask me, do you want to talk about Aubrey? So he would start doing that. And he was so sweet. He'd come home and say, you want to talk about Aubrey right now? And you know, Shelby, there was days that I was like, oh, thank you so much. Yes. And then there was other days that were like, no, I don't have to do that. Let's go to dinner. It Again, it was that validation. So he was really wonderful 
through all of it. He supported me in every single thing that I've ever done that has to do with the work that I've done with, with families and through hospice and through my funeral homes. I mean, I've dragged him to more, you know, community outreach events and different things that I was involved in. And, and with the bereavement crews, you will see that he, he will be with us the entire time running around, even taking care of people's air conditioning or whatever kind of problems that they have. (laughs) He's just been so supportive in everything that I've done. And I don't know, I don't want to say that, you know, it brought us closer because I don't like to say that that's part of one of the positive things that we got from a loss of a child, but he was certainly there for, for all of it. And to this day is, and for both of us, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned, I moved from New York, from New York state um, a few years ago. And for both of us, one of the hardest things when I mean, we had friends, lifelong friends and roots and family up in upstate New York. And the hardest thing for both of us was leaving our daughter in the cemetery up there. Oh, and God, I didn't yeah. cry for not one person that I left. I did not. I mean, I was like happy to have a new adventure in life, but it was like, Oh my God we're leaving Aubrey in upstate New York. And that was really hard. And I never would have even that hit me like out of like nowhere when I had to think about it. And he was so supportive through all of that. And, and we've moved now to South Carolina and we went and we bought some bricks at our church that have her name and birth date on along with one we bought for my mom and one for his dad. So we made our own little spot down here and he was all for that and encouraging about that. So he's just been wonderful. I, I really, I really got lucky. I really did. And I know that. And he has celebrated everything that I've celebrated. He's gone to the cemetery with me. He's gotten the balloons, done the candle thing, the ornaments, the Christmas ornaments. I mean, everything. He's just been a part of all of it. And I'm just grateful for that. I really am. It makes an enormous difference when you have a partner, not only who's with you, but who tries, I think is is the key to who continues to to learn, who wants to learn. And, and there's like a curiosity sometimes that comes with grief of like, you just need to want to know more about what's going on. You don't need to try to fix it or, you know, solve it or analyze it or judge it, but, you know, just a curiosity of like, okay, what else, you know, might we be able to, to do or to be? Well, he's certainly, like I said, I think, and again, I think it's, it's common. Um, He was so concerned about me. I mean, he'll tell the story that he thought I was going to die. I mean, it wasn't bad enough that, you know, our child had to die in his arms, but that he really, he thought I was going to die because he'll tell the story that when um, the doctor had come to me and I was like in a complete state of shock and, um, and said to me, you know, your, your daughter's going to die. And I, to this day, I can see her eyes all bloodshot and teary. And he said that he looked at the monitor, the heart monitor that they put you on. And he said, and it just like plummeted. And then there was like nothing. But what ended up happening because of my hysterics, I must have knocked off the the, um, the thing they put on your oh, finger sure. to monitor all that stuff. And but to him, he he's like, I thought you were just dead. He's like, I the thing, you know, it, it just all happened so fast. So that's he just that stuck with him, you know, that he was so worried that something was going to happen to me, um, both physically, you know, after I had her, and then emotionally, you know, the the months down the road, and. And I think, again, he needed to learn and he did, that. you know, we lost a child, you know, and it was horrible. But at first, you don't know any of that. You're just like in shock and scared and worried and, and all of that. So, um, so yeah, he has his own story to tell and it's, and he doesn't hesitate to, to tell it. I've had him come in when I was running my support groups for parents that lost a child. He'd come in and tell it, he'd, he'd spend time with the men, the dads you know, we would do that once or twice a year and he would just come on in and just sit with them and talk to them. And, you know, we'd offer it as a special night out for, you know, for the couples and everything. And he, the men would go with him and I would be with the women. So he's always been involved and supportive and, and, and is grieved in his own right, you know, and, um, and I've always recognized that. I'm going to transition a little bit now because you did mention his involvement with the bereavement crews. And I'm curious to get to that spot of our conversation as well. So how did you get to to morning discoveries, to publishing books, to like, hey, let's put a bunch of grievers on a boat together and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question, Shelby. It really is. And it's, a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a short, simple, simple story is that, as I've said, I've worked with thousands of families and I've connected with thousands of families through all the funeral homes that I worked for and, and been told so many different stories. And I used to document what people would say, but I only documented if it was something different. You're talking years and probably at this point, thousands of families. And at one point, I think it was in 2007, 
here I said it's a short story. I'll just, I'll try and short it. Um, in 2007, um, the supplier that I was using, I had a series of books that I was using for my families from a supplier and they cut me off like suddenly and unexpectedly. And it became a whole fiasco. And a good friend of mine said, Linda, what are you doing using other people's books? Write your own damn books. And I was like, what? I was like, write my own damn books. I said, I'm not, I'm not an author, never had a desire to write any books. Well, I gave that some thought and I woke up on um, Chris or, or New Year's Day morning. I woke up and I said, it was 2008. I said, by, Jan- by June, I'm going to have the four books written. I'm going to have them copywritten, published, and hopefully all of my funeral homes will be okay with using them. And so I, re- I wrote the series of books and um, each of them are written to be received at one, three, six, and 11 months after the date of death. And so they each address common things that people experience. And I drew upon all of those notes that I took. I had two big, huge file boxes full of index cards of notes, and I kind of separated them all out. So I say by the grace of God and by the, the by the, the families that I worked with and who shared all of that with me, I somehow it got written down on paper. And so, so that's how the books came about. And from there, in all the circles that I, I was in, in all the years, periodically people would say, oh, Oh, someone should put together a bereavement cruise. And for those people who don't know, I was a travel agent before life. And so I kept saying, you know, someday I want to get back into that. And and then I started thinking about the bereavement cruise. And I said, well, maybe now's the time to um, get into the travel agency. And this way, if I put together a bereavement cruise, I have complete control over everything that goes on. As you would imagine, it's a very, very special group of people that are joining us. And I just wanted to make sure that they were taken care of the highest level possible. And so I bit the bullet and I, I bought a franchise and cruise planners and said, I'm strictly going to be coordinating the bereavement cruise through my travel agency and take care of all of all aspects of it, which is exactly what I've done. And now people do come to me for other trips and I have to turn them away, but that wasn't the purpose was to be able to, you know, choose the correct ship, the correct itinerary, the, you know, the correct programming, all of it so that it would be the best experience for people. Cause again, it's a very, very special group of people that are, are joining us. And so I just, I wanted it to be the best experience. So that's how that went. <laughs> so that's how I landed with the bereavement cruise. So, and so we're just hoping to, you know, grow the program and increase awareness for it. And you've done a fabulous job with that, sharing that information to your, your followers. And, and that's what we need to do is people, when they hear about it, first, the, the thought is, you know, bereavement and cruise doesn't even really sound good together. It's like, how do you, how do you put those two things together? But when you think about it, it really is an opportunity for people to experience an uh, um, atmosphere of being with other people who have had a loss, who are grieving, doesn't matter how much time's gone by, and then also enjoying all of what's involved with a cruise as far as the vacation, the relaxation, all of the amenities of the cruise. And so all of that becomes okay. Um, I don't know if you, you probably recognize when people are grieving and they talk about doing something that's fun, they often feel guilty about that. And they feel, how can I go and laugh and have fun? My, my child died or my spouse died or my parent died. And somehow being amongst other people who are grieving, all of that becomes okay. And we've been told that over and over again, that this wasn't a guilty vacation. This is not something that I felt guilty about joining. And so there's all that piece of it too, is allowing yourself to, to, you know, participate in that and, and learn and, and be supported and, and all of that, but then to still be able to relax and feel good about that. Um, there's something to be said about being out on the sea, um, no matter where you are in your life and your, your life journey for that matter. Um, there's really something to be said about that. And then sharing that with other people and then doing all of that to honor the person who died. I mean, that's, that's powerful. I mean, I, I just look at that and it's like, wow. So that is what it's about is right there. I love it. And I think there's so many uh, metaphors for grief and the ocean and the water. And I often describe grief as the feeling of holding two separate realities, one in each hand, and you're never fully able to drop either one of them. So one is like total joy in the fullness of life, and the other one is absolute despair and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And you can never fully release either one of them. So to put, you know, rest, relaxation, spa, shore excursions in hand with the worst thing that's ever happened to you, and to put mm-hmm. both of them on a boat together and just like whisk off into the ocean. Um, it was just such a cool idea to me. And I guess that the reason it spoke to me and why I had to sign up and to call you and, and everything related to it is that uh, since my mom died, we've taken a trip every single year around her death anniversary, her grief anniversary. And 
about, I think two years ago, we went on what was mine and my sister's very first cruise and we had such a blast and simultaneously like use the cruise as a way to like make new memories, honor her memory, just have like some mom moments interspersed in there. And we actually went back to the same Island where, uh, an organization called Little Pink Houses of Hope had sent her on her and my dad's last vacation before her death. And we had no idea that that island was part of the cruise until we signed up. Um, And so it was weirdly, I get chills talking about it because it was like all weirdly connected. And, and yet, you know, it, it, it was just a very symbolic thing for us and very cool. So when I heard there was a, such a thing as a bereavement cruise, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get signed up for that. Give me some information about that. Well, you yes. know, I think another thing, I, I think as we're grieving, we, we struggle to, to, to experience what life is going to be after our loss and, and still have to deal with the grief. And I think one of the other things about the cruise, what it does is that it helps people to recognize that, you know, joy and grief can coexist. And that essentially, that's what we all end up doing is figuring out how we're going to live with our grief, right? Because it's never going to fully be gone. I mean, you'll experience it at different levels and at different different times. It'll feel different. And, and as time goes on, even that changes, but it's it's there. You That loss was so significant that you will go, you know, I said, I will walk the rest of the days on this earth without my child being there with me. And she should have been, I mean, should have whatever. But, and, and so I will never forget that. But then I needed to learn how to live my life with that being a part of who I am in a positive way and and to to make something good out of that. You know, I've often said I'm a perfect example of making lemonade out of lemons. I truly am. And so that's ultimately what we're left with. And I've heard even just in background, you know, chatter and 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 with the the groups that we've had so far with the bereavement crews, people saying, Wow, I really, I really I I I have this grief, but I'm I'm really relaxing this. I'm really enjoying this. I love this meal we're having. I love, you know, that shore excursion was really good. So I think that uh, that helps people to, or it helps to facilitate that process a little bit that we need to get to a place or we will get to a place where we learn how to, to, to experience the grief and the joy at the same time and that, it, and know that it's okay. So I think that facilitates that process for some people. I think you're absolutely right. And can you kind of clue us in on how the bereavement cruise has changed maybe since year one to now we're going on its third excursion? Well, it, I don't know if it's changed. I think that it's, it's you know, the, the whole um, theme of it has always been the same as what I just described. But I think that we've learned even from the, as you would, when you're doing something that, you know, that you've never done before, there are some challenges about having um, this type of event of coming together of, you know, presenters and workshops and activities on a cruise ship. So there's certainly some challenges. So I think we've learned a lot that has to do with some of those just logistical challenges of how to actually, you know, run the best program that we can. And, and, you know, there's just little things here and there that, that we've learned that we should be doing differently to help, you know, create more awareness to, to, to share in what we're doing with other people's like our presenters. Um, we're more, you know, engaged with, with our presenters and, and, and taking them on as more of like, you know, our partners in this to, to help to grow this program. So, I mean, I think we're still in our infancy stage. I think, you know, this is our third cruise um, and we have doubled our numbers from the first to the second cruise. And so we're hoping to do the same, if not better for the third. And, and again, that's what it's about. We will learn as we go along. Um, after the last cruise, I called every passenger, every guest, you know, most of them didn't fill out an evaluation because they just forgot or what have you. But I, I made it a point to have a conversation with every single guest who came with us. And I said to them, I want the good, the bad, the ugly, the the thing you don't want to tell me, the thing that you should tell me. I want it all because for me, I want this program to just get better every year. We hope to do this every year. And so it's just going to be better for the people who find us and the people who come with us. And so I see things changing, you know, everything's changing anyways in our worlds, but I haven't seen any major changes, but I just think we've learned and we've grown to to make it better, um, bigger and better. So that's been the most progress I can see in that area. I know that in addition to coordinating the bereavement cruise, you'll also be leading a workshop. Um, What are you going to be talking about on the ship that people can look forward to? Well, my topic is where is God in grief? I think that um, a lot of times when people are going through um, something in their lives that loss of a loved one, what we're talking about now, but other things in life that sometimes we often question, you know, where is God in all of this? And that's a real touchy, um, a touchy um, subject. I know a lot of like the support groups and those types of things, they kind of limit 
um, people referring to God and religion and all that. And I, I'm a Christian. And so I wanted to bring that piece of me um, to our group and provide a workshop that was going to really talk about where is God in grief? Like where in its very interactive workshop where people can openly discuss, you know, what they believe and, and where they believe God is in grief. And then hopefully at the end of that whole thing, we're all going to just kind of realize that um, God is right there during the whole time. And so hopefully during the workshop, we're going to have people that are going to just grow into that and, and, and really recognize that. And then the opportunity to be able to share what their thoughts and feelings are, because again, that's a real touchy subject for some people. And um, I've wanted to do this workshop. I wanted to do it on the first cruise and I didn't. I wanted to do it on the second one and I didn't. And I said, well, the third one, guess what? <laughs> I'm going to do what I I'm, want. <laughs> I'm plugging her. I am plugging her and I got a calling to do that. And I have a wonderful, wonderful workshop that I got from um, a lady who heads up the Umbrella Ministries. It's a national organization for mothers who've lost a child. And she had come to our, our, our city and did a presentation at a retreat that I was involved in. And it was just a wonderful, fabulous beautiful workshop. And she told me that first I asked her, she would come on the cruise with us because she obviously would present it much well, more better than I would, but she wasn't available. And she said, you are welcome to take it and use it. And I'm like, well, I will pray on it that I do it justice. And so I'm really excited about offering that because I think it is a topic that, that people think about, people want to talk about. And so hopefully we'll provide that opportunity for them to do just that. It's so neat because oftentimes grief is already taboo, but then you throw religion in there and it's like, oh no, can't have that conversation out loud and in mixed company because you never know who's going to have an objection or, you know, beliefs that they adhere very strongly to. And and the struggle with God and grief is very real. So I'm I'm excited to hear how this goes, to hear people's, you know, revelations or conversations as they come into this. Um, I guess as we're wrapping up the show today, I wonder if you could provide us with maybe one to three things that grief growers listening to this conversation could use to help them come back in their own lives, whether it's a, a book or a blogger or a mentality that you used or continue to use in your work today that has helped you continue to come back from your loss. Well, you know, I think one of the most important things that people need to do when they're grieving is they need information. And whether that's information about what grief is, how it's described in different, you know, books or or support groups that people go to, I think they really need the information. And there is so much available out there. And and so I think for people to identify some of the things that they can do that can help them take care of themselves, like in a physical and emotional sense, you know, and just try things, you know, educate yourself, learn all you can about grief and about loss and how it affects people. Support groups are a wonderful place for people to go to, to receive that support from others who have experienced a similar loss. And unfortunately, we don't see the numbers in the support groups that, you know, I used to look in the obituaries in our, in our newspaper locally, and then I would see the numbers coming through our support groups and it'd be like, wow, there's, there's so many people that don't even give that a chance and, and consider it an option. But I always suggest that if you can find a support group that's relative to your loss, to at least try it and go three times. And after the third time, you feel that's really not for you, then maybe it's not. Or maybe you've gone at the wrong time, or maybe try it again at another time. So I just think the information, the support, and, and then just allowing yourself to, to, to grieve and giving yourself that permission and then taking care of yourself in the midst of all of that. Um, you know, there's a lot of different modalities that people can access. You know, there's yoga, there's, you know, all those different things that people can do. So just try, try things that are going to help you to feel relaxed and, and help you to feel grounded a little bit. And that's the best advice that I can give. Um, and again, everybody's very different. Some things work from, for some people and other things don't work and it's all okay. Cause we're all very different, but the, the point is trying, you know, put that one foot in front of the other and really make an effort to, to educate yourself, to learn, to be amongst other people who have a similar loss and, and to allow yourself to grieve and not put any, you know, time limits on it or pressures on you, all the should have, could have, or would have, um, just, just grieve. Sometimes you just have to grieve and allow yourself to do that. Cause if you don't, all you end up doing is stuffing that in and I will guarantee it'll show itself someplace else, which won't be too good. So it's important to acknowledge it and honor it. And, um, you know, obviously we, we pay the ultimate price for love and that's what grief is. Um, when we love somebody so deeply and we lose them, 
we're going to grieve their loss. There's not any way of getting out of that. There's no way of going around it, over it, under it. You just need to go through it and in your own way and in your own right. And you need the support and the information to do that. That was so beautifully said and actually harkens back to a previous podcast episode. So if listeners were looking for more information on this, you can check out episode 24 of Coming Back. Uh, at the beginning of that show, I actually talk about grief being like an involuntary scavenger hunt. So it's like a big experiment that you've never wanted to, to do or be on, but grief thrusts you into this place where all of a sudden you're trying on lots of new things and absorbing lots of new information. So it's like an involuntary scavenger hunt. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah, I... I, I I tickle myself sometimes. I think it's very funny. <laughs> um, so Linda, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. And where can people find you, your work, Morning Discoveries, and more on the Bereavement Cruise, of course? Well, for the Bereavement Cruise, obviously, they can find get that information through you. I think you're posting that over, over your um, social media and every place that you think of. But our website, for sure, um, we're under the programs called Journeys of Hope, Healing, and Health. And we shortened that up because I couldn't be spelling that out for people. So it's www.j3hhh.com. And all of the information about the cruise is on the website. There's also a form on the website that people can fill out, and we will put you on our mailing list. And this way you can keep up to date about the different things that are going on. You know, we've just added all of our presenters and their presentations on our website. And then as far as morning discoveries, um, I do have a website. It's more because I do work for funeral homes and provide aftercare programs, but that is um, www.morningdiscoveries.com. And as you would imagine, it's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G discoveries.com. And so you can learn about the books that I've written and the different things that I do there. And again, that's more like a brochure online and contact information. So um, yeah, so those two things, um, people can just get whatever information that they need. Very cool. Linda, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and for throwing the biggest grief party on a boat that exists in the world <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> oh, I just love you, Shelby. Thank you so much. <laughs> so sweet. Thank you. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much to Bereavement Cruise founder Linda Finley for coming on the show this week and sharing your personal loss story. Linda came back by joining a support group called SHARE, honoring Aubrey through telling stories and by allowing herself to grieve. You can find a link to Linda's work at Morning Discoveries in the show notes. Join me in my private Facebook group called Permission to Grieve Launch Team to receive a free copy of my upcoming book and provide your insight and wisdom to this valuable project. Come sail away with me, Linda, and so many fellow grief growers on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise by requesting more information at comingbackcruise.com. If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, please go to patreon.com slash where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief Guide Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. <laughs>